Roger Williams University is hosting a crisis management seminar on May 3rd at their Providence campus. Crises, whether a natural disaster, cyber attack, or financial instability, can have severe repercussions if not handled properly. This is where crisis management plays a pivotal role. Join Roger Williams' MBA students and expert speakers to learn how to prepare for the unexpected. The program is totally free and open to the public. You can register online at rwu.edu slash events slash crisis management symposium. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the University of Rhode Island Online, who are offering a cannabis certificate program. The legalization of recreational cannabis that went into effect last year can open doors for your career. If you're already in the industry or wondering what is the best path to break into the cannabis field, the University of Rhode Island has a program to help you become highly competitive in numerous areas of the cannabis industry. Fully accredited by URI's College of Pharmacy, the certificate program is 100% online and it can be completed in just two semesters. Learn more by visiting uri.edu slash online slash cannabis or give them a call at 401-874-5280. All right, so today we're discussing what is on some levels a really interesting case that's been playing out here in Rhode Island. And when I say case, both in terms of like kind of a news story and situation, but also ultimately that will be a Rhode Island Supreme Court case quite literally and it goes to my homeland where I went to high school, middle school and high school, which is Charahoe, a regional school district in Washington County, which in- includes Charahoe, Richmond, and Hopkinton, three towns that share a border and are regionally close together. But there's a lot of differences there as well, and it's it's kind of apparent, especially when you go to the school like I did, it's readily obvious that there are significant differences between perhaps portions of Charlestown and portions of Hopkinton. Hopkinton, a place where a lot of families are quote-unquote land-rich and, um, you know, in portions of Charlestown where there is some enormous wealth. Now, how many of those super wealthy kids end up in the public school is for a debate, but there's definitely a contrast there and a flavor that's, I think, important to understand when just discussing anything with Charahoe. But the specifics right now revolve around at the end of the day, filling a school committee vacancy. And the procedure by which this takes place, the jurisdiction, which body, which governmental body, which level of government should, in essence, have the authority in a situation like this. And, of course, we wouldn't be able to talk about education in 2023 without talking about the curriculum I think nonsense, but a lot of people would say very serious business that comes down to issues of critical race theory and other similar themes that are, you know, bandied about in all kinds of educational conversations. And it's it's a factor, no matter how you look at it in this one. But uh, Jess Purcell joins us here, and you've been vocal on this for a number of reasons. One is just kind of a ch- uh, advocate in general, but specifically because you and your team believe that you ought to be the person seated in that vacant school committee position that is, you know, has been the source of this contention. So welcome to the show. That was obviously a really long intro. I try not to get into the weeds on this. There's a lot of really good journalism on this um, this story that you can find in a lot of different places. But 
I hope that was a semi good entry level opener. And perhaps Jess, you can kind of fill in the blanks where I maybe sped through that a little bit too much. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I agree. It is easy to get in the weeds because it is a big, complicated picture. Public education affects so many people um, at different levels throughout their lives. That's part of why it's such an interest to me. Um, that's part of why I ran for a school committee seat in 2022. So I'm a parent of two. I'm an active volunteer. I'm a dedicated attendee of school committee meetings, have been for multiple years. And so I ran my first campaign after being involved. And I lost narrowly by about 28 votes. That was in November. Um, in January, a seat opened on the Richmond portion of the Cherhoe School Committee. So each town has four seats. Um, a person who was not up for election left for a job opportunity and a vacancy opened. And that's Gary Ligori? Gary Ligori, yep. yeah. Written, he was a Democrat in for what it's worth. Yeah, I believe he was. A lot of people are um, independents. They, they run as independents, but so there's not as many Democrats. Um, but I believe he was a Democrat. And so he left, and I wasn't aware of this, but in the Richmond Home Rule Charter, which is our local guiding law, um, there is a provision that states in the, uh, in, the, um, in the situation of a vacancy, the town council shall appoint the next highest vote getter who was not elected from the last election. So the town clerk of Richmond called me up. She said, hey, guess what? This person's leaving. According to the charter, you should be appointed. And I thought, okay, like, let me think about it first. Right. It had been a couple months. You kind of go back to normal life. And I decided, you know, I talked to my family. I said, yes, you know, I'm going to take this opportunity. I really feel like in this case, I've earned it. It's a position, an opportunity that's opening itself up to me. I'd like to accept. The town clerk emailed all involved parties. That was on Friday. By Tuesday, there was a memo from two of the um, from the town solicitor of Richmond that two town councilors had asked for a legal opinion, a very narrow legal opinion stating um, which takes precedence, the Cherahoe Act or the Richmond Home Rule Charter. And the Cherahoe Act is the collection of state legislation that binds our three towns together as a school district. And so it, it dates back to the 19. Sorry to interrupt you just to, to kind yeah. of t establish it dates back to I think 1953. I think 58 or 58. Okay. So it's, it's, it's not as if this Charaho act was devised in 2018 or something like that. It's a, yeah. it's been somewhat precedent for quite a bit of time. Yeah. And so that, that, that Charaho act, it says things like, you know, that we have to approve our budget by referendum every year. So all the towns have to agree to pass a budget. It's not just the town council. It's not a financial committee. It's the whole community. Um, but it also says very generally that the town council shall make an appointment for any vacancy on the school committee. And so there, this opinion kind of, I could see it was a challenge to the charter because it asked which takes precedence, the Cherhoe Act or the charter. And in my mind, it's like, well, you can do both. The town council can appoint and they can appoint based on the charter. There's no conflict, common sense, good faith. It's easy. But that memo kind of cued me up to say like, okay, this isn't really, this might not be how this goes. Um, so I rallied folks to support me. I let them know what was happening. They came out in full force. I got like 30 letters of support on the town council agenda for the night of the, the discussion. You know, it changed the whole agenda item. If this went as planned, it would have said, uh, you know, resignation of Gary Ligori, appointment of Jessica, Jessica Purcell, end of story. Yep. But the memo changed things up. 
Um, the first meeting was canceled because it was overcrowding in the town hall chambers. They can only fit about 63 or 61 people there. So fire code, they had to put it off till the next Thursday. Um, and that was when three of the town council members, you know, voted against my appointment. And then someone made a motion to appoint another person. And then they appointed that person in that meeting. So they broke a lot of precedents um, in my town precedent. In my opinion, usually you advertise a vacancy, you put out an application process or a timeline, people submit applications, and then they choose in a meeting. Right. Um, but that's not, also not what happened here. Yeah. And that person who was appointed is Clay Johnson, a conservative who is uh, heavily involved in the Gatsby Project and supported by Parents United. Parents United is the group that um, has kind of popped up that has challenged a lot of different issues, but most notably, I guess, critical race theory, quote unquote, things like, you know, the sex education, to put it broadly, and, and, and elements of that. And they're out there, um, you know, it's not a huge group, but they found kind of a media niche of people who support them and kind of back them up. And they're a loud group. So the undertone here when you read into it is that the Richmond Town Council said, you know, at least perhaps behind the scenes, we've got a person in Clay Johnson that we want to appoint based on ideological grounds, and we will use what we believe is an interpretation of the law, for lack of a better term, the, the precedent being unclear, to appoint somebody who, who factors into our ideological needs. So that's sort of the backstory there that has gotten us to the point where you have filed a petition with the state Supreme Court and arguing that it was an illegal appointment and that you ought to be appointed given that you are the next highest vote getter. And that's where it leaves us essentially right now. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think Par Parents United, I believe they exist from my understanding, because Gatsby is a 501c4, they cannot oppose or um, support any candidates. But Gatsby, I'm sorry, not Gatsby, Parents United Rhode Island is a PAC. They can support candidates. So in the last election, Clay Johnson had spent $20,000 of money to support candidates, including the three town council members who voted against my appointment, as well as other school committee candidates. So he's got money in this race. Gatsby has money in this race. Um, Mr. Johnson sends out letters against the budget that, like you said, incorporates some of that um, rhetoric about uh, offensive curriculum, um, government schools, what they call, you know, schools instead of public education. Um, but, you know, like my lawyer, Mr. Jeff Levy said in his brief, um, this story is about the process. It's not about the outcome. Right. That That's a layer of complexity, but this is really about that we feel that these three town council members should have followed the, the charter that they have sworn an oath to. This is our legal local binding document. And by, by, by denying my appointment and appointing whoever they wanted, that was not just um, offensive to me, but to all the voters of Richmond who voted in the last election. You know, we want our voices heard. We want a representative democracy. Um, and we deserve that. And so that's why, you know, it, it wasn't easy to just file a petition to the Rhode Island Supreme Court. Sure. It took a lot of, 
you know, conversations. I talked to everyone I knew that was involved in the subject that has gotten to know me over the last few years around town or family members that I've known my whole life. You know, people are telling me, oh, file an injunction, uh, do a this. And I'm like, I don't know what any of that means. But I finally talked to the right person who knew a person who would represent me and knew just what to do. Yeah. And after that, it's been waiting. You know, honestly, my lawyer has been fantastic support for me. He has validated um, the feelings of myself and so many in legal, legal words, you know, in legalese that is clear to understand. And that I think makes a very convincing case that I should be seated on the school committee. And that case will be heard on April 13th. So we're recording this on Monday, April 10th. It's coming right up. And Look, again, you're, you know, the, the lawyer represents you. Jeff Levy is, you know, certainly a credible attorney and is a you, you, totally, there's no question about it. There's also an ideological element to his taking on this case would be, you know, I'm guessing he seems to share an ideology that aligns more with yours than Clay Johnson's. So the framework here is, it's kind of an interesting scenario because you have, yes, the process and procedure is what is in in question here but there's also the notion that this is being driven on ideological grounds i mean let's be honest about it so whether or not that's the legal argument that's being made there's also a desire from from an ideological position to not see clay johnson or the advancement of parents united and groups like that inside a school committee that's also there correct yeah absolutely and i i can tell you from campaigning and knocking doors that what folks want to see on the school committee is not a politicized agenda. Right. They want to see people there who care about the schools, who care about the students, who are going to work hard to advocate for what we specifically need and for what is um, what we need support for. Because there is there are cu curriculum that we have to review every five years and that teachers have to learn on. Right now, they've been for over a year now learning a new reading curriculum or a revised reading curriculum about the science of reading and how to truly understand how the brain works for children to read. Um, and I think that they want someone who is who is a positive advocate. Um, so if you want to talk about ideology, I think you should have folks on the school committee who are pro-public education and who right. understand that the schools we provide are for all children in this district and we provide all the services they need no matter what they need. Yeah, um, that's what I think we truly need to have on the school committee, not any sort of political agenda. Yeah, I would totally agree as well, especially in context of Parents United, who, in my mind, have proven to be bad actors in this community and have kind of spun as much of a fear mongering type of approach to what's happening in the schools and so on and so forth. I mean, I can't say off the top of my head a specific, you know, example of you know they did this on this date, but. It's just sort of a reputational thing that they've, they've developed. Now, others would say, you know, you're out of your mind. These people are standing up for, you know, some kind of Judeo-Christian values or something. I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. Uh, but, but there are people who believe in this kind of stuff. There are people who, for whatever reason, are opposed to critical race theory, quote-unquote. They're opposed to, you know, whatever education around gender sexual education, whatever it is. There's people out there who say, oh my God, I can't believe this is being taught in the schools. What's your message to them? Because your argument there would basically be one of process and procedure and not ideology. So 
you know, how it, do you believe that you can win over, not that you have to win them over in court, but in the court of public opinion, that person who's sitting at home right now saying, boy, I don't want to send my kid to school. You know, I heard some you know, talk show hosts talk about, you know, all these terrible things that are being taught in school. And, you know, they're going to, I'm, I'm afraid that, you know, my, my son's going to come home and they're going to force him to transition to a, a woman. And, you know, he's going to have to apologize for, for being white or whatever it is, whatever these, you know, things are that are being put out there. What's your message to them on this, the specifics of the procedure here? Well, I think um, we have to have a conversation about specifics, first and foremost. So to say I heard something, someone said something, it's difficult to have a conversation about a rumor because you're not talking about something factual. I think that everyone deserves to be involved in this conversation. I think the, the question at the heart of it all is who has power and control over what children are taught. Yep. And part of what I've seen come from Parents United and um, Stenhouse and some organizing he's done around bills is that ride is a big issue. Not just ride, but the teachers unions and then there's parents who should have rights, but then uh, there's also teachers and students and staff in the school who have rights. So there's a lot of intersecting identities of people who are involved in public education. Mm -hmm. And I think that you should be engaged. Go to your school committee meetings, the ones where you live and understand what's going on in your school. Talk to your children about what they are learning. And I think the other thing is that, you know, in every generation that has grown, there's concern over what the new generation is learning. You know, I know with my own kids, they're being raised completely differently, not completely differently, but they have new technologies that we don't even understand. You know, we're not even through figuring out what social media has done to our brains and emotions. And now it's like AI is the next new thing. And we, we're not even ready for that. And it's happening. Um, so I think that I would just encourage people to be engaged, talk to your representatives, under, talk to your school administrators, anybody can, and I can't speak for other school districts, but Cherhoe School District is truly transparent in so many ways. The website has all of the curriculum posted. They discuss it at school committee meetings. They discuss all the policy and they review it. You can email the superintendent or the assistant or anyone on the school committee, all their email addresses are right there. So I think you just have to be involved in the process and engage in good faith and understand that, yes, there are a lot of different um, concerned parties at play. And, I, you know, I don't I don't think ride is the best thing. There are a lot of things they do that I think are sort of tone deaf. And, you know, last year they released like these new graduation requirements. And I'm like, OK. Who, want, who wants new graduation requirements when we're still recovering from COVID? Right. There's so much that teachers are already doing. So I get it. Like, I'm not here to be a cheerleader for everyone. I want to have tough conversations. But I think you have to talk about specifics and not go too far off the deep end too fast because you heard something somewhere. Bottom line, this case comes down to, at the end of the day, the home rule notion versus a what I guess you would say, a, a state notion. I don't know how else to really frame it besides that. In your mind, the legal arguments are sound. You believe that you're in good legal standing, that by decree of the Richmond Town Charter, you ought to be appointed? Is that basically where this stands? To, to me, it's not either or. It's both and. It's no. I think that the Cherho Act and the Charter, they apply concurrently. They can be understand understood together very easily. 
there's no reason to ignore one or the other. That's really what it comes down to to me. Both of them should have been adhered to, and they could have been. All right. It's going to be really interesting to follow this on the 13th. Stay in touch on it for sure. We'll continue to monitor it here and um, across the different platforms. You know, education in Rhode Island, it's always, I mean, it's it's a challenge. We're always looking at it from the standpoint of like, oh, how can we match Massachusetts or whatever it is? But these little pockets are so critical to understanding the full picture of what's happening behind the scenes on a political level, just in general. So really fascinating case here and best of luck to you on the 13th. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Go Chargers. Go Chargers.